Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word-of-mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the show today is Eva-Marie Preneus, Director of Studio Preneus, a six-person residential architecture and interiors practice based in Sydney, Australia. In this episode, Eva-Marie and I discussed how the studio attracts like-minded clients through a mix of clear and focused messaging, transparent values, repeat business, and in-person events. We looked at the strategy Eva-Marie has taken to selecting architectural photographers and why she believes images with emotion as well as a bit of mess and realism make projects seem a lot more livable and desirable. We discussed why Eva-Marie feels that high-pressure developer-led projects aren't a viable avenue for her practice. We spoke about how she knew it was the right time to employ a practice director. We looked at how the roles developed over time and why she believes it's important for her to free herself up so she can spend more time working on the projects directly. And finally, we looked at how Eva-Marie has become more comfortable with speaking in public about her work and her practice and how being engaged in the profession has helped her to grow as an architect and a business owner. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Eva-Marie Preneus from Studio Preneus. Eva-Marie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, should we start things off with a little bit of a background on the studio? Almost 20 years of Studio Preneurs. It's pretty exciting. Give us a little bit of an overview of, I guess, like the journey you've been on with the practice and where you guys are today. I started the practice in 2004, uh, just myself and a student. And over the last kind of 18, 19 years, we've grown to a practice of six. We work primarily on residential work. We do lots of beautiful houses and apartment fit-outs and we work a lot with heritage uh, and that's what we've been doing, yeah, for the last little while. Yeah, awesome. That that heritage stuff, and we'll just get, we can get straight into that. That's something that you talk about so much on the website and it's so clear in your messaging, but this idea of 
thinking about what to keep and what to adapt and thinking about spaces as already being special and kind of working with them. And I thought that really stood out to me because it's there's this big debate, I guess, in architecture sometimes about generalization versus specialization, having a focus or not. And there's these conversations that happen around it. But when I was like looking at your website and your work, I felt like this was sort of a niche that you guys had kind of honed in on over time. Has that been something that's happened gradually or is that uh, something that's been there at the very beginning of the big focus of the practice? I think as a um, as a new practice, we started with, like every small practice, we started with a lot of alterations and additions to existing houses. And then over a period of time, we started thinking about all the layers that we work with. And I think that those layers that come with existing projects give you a really beautiful context to work with and you sort of think about what's what's there, what you're going to keep, what you're going to not necessarily keep and then how you sort of work with those layers to create the next part of history of that building. So, yeah, over time I think we really love those projects because it gives you, yeah, just a context to work with and a, and a starting point architecturally, obviously there's always a brief and there are always council parameters, but um, in terms of materiality and also expression, it gives you a really lovely point to start with. So yeah, we love working with old buildings and not necessarily always heritage. We've done a lot of mid-century projects as well and um, just really, yeah, understanding those layers and where things started and adapting adapting from yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. I get the feeling that whether practices tend to be more oriented towards renovation, refurbishment, adaptation, extension, all that sort of thing versus new build, sometimes it is also a reflection of the area that they work in as well or, or, that, or, the, or the local context and sort of what's going on with the housing market as well, whether it's more common for a project to be new build or whether it's more common for it to be kind of like a renovation. Is the kind of areas where you guys work like in any way sort of influencing that as well? Is there any sort of connection there or anything you've noticed about kind of the part of Sydney that you guys work in or New South Wales? Yes, definitely. And I think there's a lot of conservation areas in New South Wales where there's quite strict parameters about what you can do. However, a lot of those houses do need to be adapted. Yeah. And that's where you need an architect to come in and really think creatively about what you can do. So yes, there are like within sort of the inner inner city there are quite a lot of conservation areas and we primarily work in a lot of those and that's where that old building stock is that does need to be refreshed. Yeah, absolutely. So then like I guess in terms of people who have those kinds of projects, they must love kind of the way that your studio expresses this idea of all these different layers of the context of so many things that you're sort of responding to that you talk about in your in your kind of social media and in interviews and things like that you guys sort of finding that in thinking about like landscape and regeneration ecology and heritage and context and all this sort of stuff like is that does that do you find that that kind of gets clients fired up and interested in those sorts of things yes I find well there's been a couple of projects that have had quite a bit of media attention and people come to us and say oh we absolutely love that project and we love what you did at the front but then we really loved what you did at the back yeah and so Certainly that part of it in terms of the architectural expression and how connecting old with new and that idea of materiality and how it can carry through, I think that does resonate with people. In terms of the, the landscape and the ecology, that's something that we've just recently started 
really delving deeply into. We sort of started with one of our projects, which as a practice, we've been on this sort of journey over the last few years of really trying to meaningfully connect with country and understand um, designing with country and trying to work out how to do that in a residential context because a lot of the projects that you hear about and read about are often much larger public projects. So we're really trying to think about how we can do that and we partnered on this one project with these amazing landscapers who specifically for our site um, established a reference ecology um, across the harbour in the same part of the country but it was a reserve Um, and we took the clients on a bushwalk and we looked at all the beautiful native planting and used that as a reference for the implementation of the landscape on on our project. Yeah. Uh, So that was um, a really special way that we felt we could yeah meaningfully bring back the ecology to that particular part of this inner city site Uh, And actually on Friday, I got a photo from the landscapers really excited because they'd found this nest, native paper wasps. Mm. And um, they said, oh, these are the hardest working subcontractors in the whole of the ecology. It's working. It's like they were so excited. So, um, yeah, so it was a really lovely um, way to kind of, I mean, we're always in contact with the clients and sort of hearing about how everything's going and how the garden's growing. And that's, that's quite a lovely sort of, you know, this sort of ongoing layer that just keeps on developing over time. Yeah. That's really interesting. And it's interesting saying it's kind of the last few years that it's been this focus for you guys, like has in the past years of the practice, has there been similar things that you've gone this is an area that we want to know more about and focus on more and spend more time on and and kind of concentrate on that. And then you guys have learned those skills, made those connections, started implementing that on your projects. And it's kind of this evolution that happens over time. Or is it, is this just something quite particular that's been really a focus over the last few years? That one's been quite particular, but another thing that we're also picked up on, I think, I think a lot of the time we have like these ways of doing things yeah. But articulating them is really difficult. So, um, at, you know, we both the practices that I worked in before I started my own practice, one focused on sustainability, one focused on heritage. So they're things that have always been in the forefront of the way that we practice. But now that the team's actually grown to a sort of number where we can do things together and really experience yeah. and learn together, it's, it's made it, I don't know, there's been sort of more of a focus in doing it as a group rather than just as a separate, you know, personal activity to develop your own professional yep. education. So we do a lot more of that now and we're, we're in the process of becoming B Corp certified. And that's something that we're doing as a group. And that's certainly impacting the way that we think about everything that we do in terms of specification, the way we work in the office, all of those things. So that's also sort of another arm that we're developing together as a group as well, um, which it's a really great way to team build, all learn together and create just a really positive working environment, I think, within within the studio. Yeah, it makes me think of a couple of other episodes where people have talked or guests have spoken about kind of focusing on making sure that they're still doing things that help them to continue enjoying architecture, <laughs> whether that's going to things or, or, or doing that educational side of things or, and, and doing that with the team and really trying to not 
get too stagnant as a designer, as an architect. I, I get the sense from just what we've talked about so far, but also our chat the other day that that seems to be something that you guys kind of do. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the reason that you're doing it, but do you find that that's one of the sort of the byproducts of you know, doing new things like facing that sort of B Corp challenge, getting involved in sort of new areas of interest, like it's kind of keeping you guys sort of in love with doing <laughs> doing architecture a bit. That's what I, that's what I would kind of expect, yeah. When you can define your purpose yeah, and then really get your message out there, then you meet other clients who have the same interests and then it feels so much better than just making a nice house for someone. Yeah. You know, like we, our connections with our clients are really deep. Like they'll, you know, we'll get them on board and, you know, there'll be a couple of meetings before we even sign a contract because we want to know that it's the right fit. And whenever we do have meetings, we get them into the office. We've got an open plan office. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone hears what's going on. There's no sort of private meeting room. They'll come in. We'll put on a beautiful lunch. They'll sit down. We'll talk them through while they enjoy their lunch whatever we're presenting and then we talk wow. at the end um and it's so we, we really get to know each other and and then by the time obviously you get to site and you're sort of seeing them weekly and you know like it becomes like quite a quite a beautiful relationship so yeah. and if you are sort of going through that process with people with similar beliefs and similar values it i mean it's it's wonderful yeah. What's your way of kind of telling if they're that right client because I mean it is hard in architecture right because you don't you don't get that many opportunities to to meet someone and speak to someone before you kind of begin working on their project and going into this process that you're going to be working with them in such an in-depth way for such a long time. It's such a big commitment. I mean, is it just you just have to trust your gut and experience over time or do you have any kind of tricks of the trade that have helped you to sort of work out what you might be looking for in the right client? Well, when somebody gets in contact with us, it's generally telephone or email. Mm. And we, um, Lisa, who is our amazing practice director, she sends them an inquiry form. And it doesn't matter who you are, you you have to fill out this inquiry form. Yeah. And so we, we find out a little bit about them. Um, we find out a little bit yeah. about their project. And then we find out, you know, whether they've worked with an architect before, what their expectations are. And then finally, like how they found out about us. So when a client is very general and they clearly can't even think of one of our projects and they've just gone around and emailed 10 architects, then they're probably not the right person because they don't really know what they're looking for. But, you know, if they've, if they've got a friend who's suggested us or they've seen a project and, and, and the really great ones are when they've seen us here, 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 and here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And they yeah. know exactly and it just keeps popping up and they feel like by the time they actually contact us, it must have meant to be. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think that really helps. And then once we get that inquiry form back, you can kind of tell by the way it's filled out as well a little bit about that person. Yeah. And then um, Lisa, depending on, you know, how, how it looks and if it looks like something that we're interested in, then we'll um, get back to them and um, arrange a time for me to meet them, visit the project and then take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, you know, because I, I, I kind of hear that a lot from guests, that idea of, you know, really one of the best signs of, of that client that is sort of like-minded and they're a good fit for the studio is that they are aware of our work and they can mention a couple of projects that they really like and that and that sort of thing comes up quite a bit versus that potential client who 
has never even looked at the website, has never seen any of our stuff before. That 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 totally makes sense. I wonder if over time, do you find that naturally the clients that you attract as more kind of media and more of your work is out there and you're more visible, do you find that you start to attract more of that kind of client versus in the beginning where, you know, a lot of studios in that first couple of years, vast majority of people they speak to are just sort of word of mouth from co-worker or a cousin or somebody and you know they didn't come across them in a magazine or on social media or anywhere else it's just walking the door quite cold but do you do you feel like it's really gone in that other direction now where most people are kind of attracted in because they've seen your work somewhere no it's it's still both it's still both word of mouth is incredibly powerful yeah we were just talking the other day about a client who she actually first saw our work when she was just walking down the street with a friend. She goes walking around her suburb and she saw this one particular project and they'd walked past it a couple of times and they decided that they really liked what we'd done. And so they knocked on the door and our client from that project answered the door and said, oh, come in, come and have a look. And um, and that's how we got that project. So, and, and not just that one, but the next one. And yep. so I think, you know, it's obviously incredibly valuable to get um, – projects photographed and getting them out in the media and that's really exciting and really like wonderful um but word of mouth is still incredibly powerful and Mm. and also the work speaks for itself in that Mm -hmm. in that case you mentioned earlier where you're asking clients about whether they've worked with an architect before and you just touched on this idea of have that do they sort of understand the process how much education be involved as the studio goes on, are you finding more of your clients have worked with an architect before or are they mostly first timers a bit of both still. Yeah. A bit of both. Sometimes they'll say, look, we have, but it was a very small project and this one's a lot bigger. Yeah. But other, yeah, other times they'll just say no. Yeah. First, first go. Yeah, I guess it really depends. But what's really interesting is I think that when I first started working in architecture and, and doing residential work, I, I think I always thought, oh, you know, you'll be lucky to get, you know, like it's so much harder for architects to get work than it is, say, for an engineer or a surveyor or whatever because we are always recommending them and they've yep. got like this constant source of recommendation, this one totally. entity that, yeah. And I always thought, oh, you know, for an architect, it's really rare to get more than one project for the same client, but that's actually not the case. It's it's actually incredible how we're on our sort of third project with some clients. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Is there anything that you guys do to... I don't know, stay in touch and stay friendly with those clients above just, you know, maybe just the regular sort of organic, you know, we're just staying in touch every now and then. But I'm just curious, do you have anything with past clients in the office where have anything planned out that we do with those past clients to sort of keep in touch with them? Yeah, definitely. Because we notice, you know, like the ones that really, really engage that sort of are always on social media and really excited to see what we're doing next. So there are clients out there that we do keep a relationship with and they'll often ring and say, we're thinking of buying this painting, what do you think? Or we want to buy some mm. new dining chairs now and we'll sort of help them and, and you know, offer our trade discount so that they can, you know, go and get their dining chairs and we stay in contact with them in that way. But then also, like recently we had an event at a project, the one with the garden that I was talking about mm. before, and we invited all of our current clients, all of our not all of our past clients, but certain past clients who would be interested to come along. And we just had a beautiful sunset drinks um, and had a lovely smoking ceremony and welcome to country um, by a local elder. And it was um, it was just a really 
beautiful. Well, at first we were a bit nervous thinking, well, what's it going to be like having all of these people? And But it felt like a party. It was everyone got on and they, and the funny thing was there are little connections where I didn't realise at the time that we invited these people, but um, during the night I'd see like two sets of clients talking to each other and remembering that, you know, the past client had actually recommended the current client. And so, of course, they knew each other because they live in the same suburb, but I'd never actually been in the same room as all of them all together. So, yeah, it was really nice. Um, so just like little connections were happening all over the place and there was a really beautiful sort of happy vibe and, yeah, so 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 there was that event. Um, yeah. I guess that's a nice way of, you know, thanking clients for, all the recommendations and, and, and we do stay in touch with them. And every year we do a little Christmas gift and, and send it out and think about, you know, we really put a lot of effort into, into thinking about what we're going to do and what people will do with it and, and what message we're going to send that year. So that, that's always quite fun. And that's a fun little design exercise as well for the studio. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm always surprised that there aren't more events in the residential uh, sort of space. I think, you know, you, you finish these projects, probably the last thing the client wants is for the architect to have a big party at their project in a lot of cases with a bunch of strangers. But it, but it seems like a really, a really rewarding thing to do at the end of a project and is really useful from that standpoint of being an opportunity that you can invite existing clients to potential new clients, all that sort of thing. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Is it, pre-dependent on the client, I would guess, in terms of whether they're happy to do something like that? Or did we? Did you guys just get lucky this time? Or have you had this opportunity before sort of open up? We have done it before. We did, um, a, we had a beach house and the clients always let us go and stay there um, whenever we want. And we asked them if we could have a lunch up there. So we did like, a, like a, we did, we made that a lunch because we knew everyone was moving up, up going to be driving quite far to get there. Um, yeah, we had like a, some like live music and lots of drinks and food and it was great. Yeah. And people just came and went as they, as they pleased. And it was a beautiful day. So we were really lucky. Um, that was a while ago. And then we've had a couple of sort of morning teas where you just do a drop in, you know, coffee and croissant and people can just come in, you know, and have a little look around and a little chat. But with these particular clients, they sort of said to us, you know, if you want to bring anyone, if you want to have people over and we said, oh, it'd be nice to do a little morning tea. And they said, no, 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 (laughs) you should do sunset drinks. And we thought, wow, okay. (laughs) And then, you know, a few people turned into a lot of people and it became this big event, which they loved. And they recently had their 40th birthdays there. And, um, and they basically said, we use the same caterers. We got the same musicians. We, you know, we, we, thanks for doing the trial run for us. So they were really excited. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Such a good practice and such good hospitality to all your clients to do those sorts of events. And, I, I don't see it that often and it's always surprising because I just, I don't know, it just feels like the kind of the right the right way to approach things in, in the residential space and people would respond to it so well. But, yeah, no, that's really, really lovely. Just kind of switching subjects a little bit but talking about kind of existing clients and repeat business, I think one thing that sort of stood out to me looking at the website was that you, know, you guys have been going for sort of almost 20 years. I would expect there to be 50 projects on the website, you know, just this overabundance of every project you guys have ever done. But one thing that I really appreciated about looking at your website was how curated and selective you had been about what you show on the website. Like I'm, I think it was roughly sort of 
maybe six projects that you were showing kind of in the selected portfolio? So, yeah, look, we're about to change that because a few people have said that. They've gone, oh, where's, you know, do you have any other projects? And we're like, yes, there's a whole section. (laughs) I don't know why. When we did um, a bit of a rebrand a few years ago, that was just what we settled on mainly because we thought we'll select six and then we'll have all projects in another section so that we can, because the images are so beautiful. Yeah. And you want to see them big on the screen. Mm. Um, so I think that's why we did it that way. But I think mm. we've just had so much feedback, exactly what you've just said. Um, so we are in the process of changing it. Except my feedback um, was positive and saying I like it. Was how great it is. <laughs> yeah. I know. Except, what a masterstroke. Um, as, and you're going, actually, it's a huge issue. <laughs> well, as time goes on, as time goes on, it becomes really difficult to to ditch one because yeah, you get a new project in and then you have to let one go. Exactly. So you're actually, because I've, I've kind of talked to some clients about having maybe a bit of a one-in, one-out kind of policy because after a while, the work that sits in your portfolio can tend and like to kind of not reflect what your studio is really about now or what you're looking to be about in the future. But I could absolutely see the problem you're dealing with. And also that sense of, you know, meeting with an older client and and them having this sort of awkward, oh, our, our project, it's not on your website anymore, which must be really tricky to deal with. <laughs> yeah, happens. I always worry about that, Dave. I always I worry. Um, I, whenever we re- like remove one, I just think, oh gosh, I hope Oh, that, that client is going to be heartbroken. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So maybe we maybe that's going to be the new website. We'll expand that number a little bit. I've noticed in the industry through the work that I do that sometimes there's a there's a very subtle difference between architectural photography and interiors photography. That's like not a clear cut thing, but there's I, I feel like the those two f- disciplines are kind of moving in slightly separate directions. Where you've got the interior stuff, which can be a lot more. Uh, moody and dark and evocative and it doesn't have these super um, traditional sort of framed shots of entire rooms and all of that sort of stuff it's much more details and elements and corners of the room and it's a little bit more first person sort of perspective just looking around the space and then you have the architecture stuff which is a lot brighter a lot more sort of larger format taking in larger spaces and it's much more sort of like true to life in a way but it doesn't have as much kind of mood or whatever. But anyway, that's just my spiel about the photography. But I kind of notice that depending on whether your projects sort of lean a bit more architecture-y or a bit more interiors-y, like you guys will choose. You're very, it seems like you're very strategic about the photographers that you have selected. I'm just curious to kind of get your kind of thoughts on any of that in terms of the style of imagery that you might choose for a different project, depending on what the project is about? Yeah, look, I think it's amazing how a different photographer can capture the same thing in a completely different way. Completely different way, yep. Yeah, and I, look, we used to get photography done and, you know, you'd get 100 shots and you'd think, wow, 100 shots, and you only ever end up using (laughs) like eight or nine of them. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I did, I don't know, there was some profiling thing and the magazine sent a photographer out to take a photo of me and then I sort of looked at his work and then thought well, he's actually done some really nice um, shots of projects. So I talked to him about shooting one of our projects and then I was so excited about it and he, I guess he was doing more interiors but I was really excited because, and this is one of the things we talk about on our website as well, it has a feeling mm. and that's, that's something that's so hard to describe 
Um, but the, I, I find that there's much more emotion in mm. in the way that he photographs versus the way that we were doing it previously, and and that's and that's when I sort of had this light bulb moment of okay, depending on the project, we really need to think about this um, and how it's shot so that you can sort of convey that feeling because I do think there was a time when people were just looking at architectural photography and thinking you can't live in that and. And then, then it's got, you know, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's a nice photo, but you can't live in it. And I think mm. um, what a lot of interior magazines show is that you can, like, and there's kind of a bit of messiness or, you know, you can really imagine yourself living in that space. Yeah, because I find like with our project, someone said to me the other day, oh, it's really easy to take a nice photo of a project, obviously, blah, blah, blah. And then I just thought, well, actually, no, it's actually not. Like <laughs> I never. <laughs> Why would you say that? It's definitely not easy to take a nice photo of a project. Well, because you look at photography in a, in a magazine, you go, oh, it's a really nice photo, but yeah. what's it like in real life? Oh, yeah, but yeah, I just yeah. think, I mean, I'm very, very tough and I always look at the rest of the team and, and I'm looking at their faces when the images first come through because I always think that photography usually falls short of what it's like to actually be there Mm. and and you've got to try and get as close as you possibly can but I always think yeah it's a nice photo but if you actually went there then you'd really know how nice it is and how great it is to be in that space whereas I think a lot of people think that photographs make things look better I don't Mm. think that I Mm. think actually you, you there's a whole layer that's missing yeah. And is it, do you think it is that sort of emotional layer or it's hard to sort of articulate, you know, what that missing piece is? Yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's probably emotion and there's also that idea of like the being in a three-dimensional space versus looking yeah. at it in an yeah. image. It's yeah. very, very hard to convey yeah. the, the full feeling. Yeah. I think there's like, there's a sort of a thought out there that maybe that's why video is becoming so popular as something that studios are commissioning for their projects because I think that the sense that it captures more of that sort of experience of being in the space three-dimensionally. Do you, is that something that you guys have sort of thought about or played around with a little bit for some of your projects? We've never done it, but interestingly, um, not, not ourselves, yeah. like we've been lucky enough to have the local project, local project do a couple video, for yeah. us. Mm. But the first one that actually was done um, was when we were selling our house. We had the photography done and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 are these photos good enough? And it was that thing of that, you know, you have to do real estate photography. Yeah. And I was trying to get our usual photographer to do real estate (laughs) photography and he was getting really angry. And then my husband was like, we've got to show how big this bedroom is. He's just cropped it. Like, you know, people need to see that this is six (laughs) metres wide and... (laughs) And, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and then, so we, when we got the photos back, you know, and then you get, and then, so the real estate agent insisted on getting a real estate photographer as well. So we ended up having these two photos because we were so, like, it's all so difficult. And then he said, let's get a video done. And I just wanted to die. And he said, I want you to speak over the top of it and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we had the video done and yeah, it's so much better because (laughs) you see so much more and you, the things that you can capture in film are things that you wouldn't necessarily do like a shot of that's just going to be a still you can sort of move past it and get the impression of of that like it might be a nice little bit but you don't want to necessarily stop and look at it for very long and um yeah that's what you can do with film that you can't do with photography so yeah we were really surprised at how much we liked it 
Yeah. I would have so bought that house if you'd have got, you know, your Felix Forrest or Gavin Green photos of just that the whole master bedroom would just be like a curtain in the afternoon light blowing in the wind or whatever. And I would be going, I love it. I want to move in. This looks perfect. It's exactly what I'm going for. Wouldn't have had any idea what the house even looked like, but no, that's so exciting. Yeah, no, it is an interesting one, isn't it? And it's hard to it's hard to convey, but I think the local project videos have been really useful for that. A lot of studios, it's been their first kind of foray into sitting in front of a camera, talking about a project, being in a video. Um, it's been a really great kind of resource for a lot of studios to have a video that would otherwise normally be a bloody fortune <laughs> to... Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, like those videos cost 20 grand to make or whatever. It's just so good to, I guess, have access to that, to have that opportunity. It is. It's so good. And to get, you know, drone footage, you know, on a film with beautiful music and it's the whole vibe. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. We, we spoke about this a little bit the other day, but um, you are mentioning that in, in kind of recent years have been more keen to, I guess, like get out there and do more things like interviews and, you know, sit in front of a camera doing a local project video and a few other different bits and pieces. I'm just interested in that from the perspective of, you know, thinking about those local project videos where for a lot of studios that might be the first time that they have to kind of sit in front of a camera and talk about their work, even though they might have been practicing for 15 or 20 years or whatever. But you've kind of gotten quite a lot of experience doing that. So just be interested in getting kind of the background on, on I suppose, you getting out there more publicly talking about your practice because I think it's an interesting area for other directors who are sort of interested in doing a bit more of that, but they've been maybe a little bit reluctant to get out there and to sort of put themselves out there like that. I have to say that I get so unbelievably nervous and I absolutely hate doing it. Oh, I man. really, really don't like it. Yeah. It's so nerve wracking. Whenever I have to do any of those things, I can't think about anything else. So it's, yeah, it's just a total time waster <laughs> because I just, <laughs> I have to deal with my own situation. But I do think, as with everything, the more you do it, the less you dislike it yeah. <laughs> and you get a little bit better at it. And I also think, yeah, whenever I get those opportunities, I think, well, you know, if I don't do it, then I might not get another opportunity. So I've, I've got to give it a go. But look, even, yeah, with the profiling and all of that, I used to get asked, you know, would you like to be part of this interview? And they'd send me the questions and I'd fuss about with it for so long or just put it aside because I was so scared to even look at it that I just wouldn't end up doing it. Um, and then over time, I think um, doing those interviews and like the more that you do, the more it helps you clarify actually what you think and what it is that you're doing and what your purpose is. And honestly, I think those things are so important because it gives you confidence and it helps you sort of clarify your thoughts and it helps you make decisions about what you're going to do next. So, um, yeah, I've found it really, really valuable, but it took me a very, very long time to get to the point where I could actually even do it. I feel like I'm going the opposite way in some ways. <laughs> I feel like I was a lot a lot braver and a lot less nervous about doing that sort of stuff when I was first starting out because for whatever reason, I think I had less to lose in some sense. Like I've got, I've got these like draft blog posts that I've sort of three quarters written but then not finished because I kind of go like, oh, 
the more I know, the less confident I am in what I'm saying <laughs> over time, um, in a sense, because I go, well, maybe it's not as straightforward as it seems. Whereas when I was first sort of starting out doing what I do, I'd be like, oh, just put that article out there. No problem. I wouldn't give it a second thought. So sometimes, you know, but I think that's something that luckily I have this podcast where I feel a lot more comfortable, but in those other areas where it's doing what you're talking about, which is kind of clarifying your thinking or sort of putting your message out there. Like sometimes it's really hard to resolve that because you kind of, there always is that bit of uncertainty that comes with experience, I suppose. But are you, are, do you find that, you know, as you go on and get that, get more experience and you're just becoming more and more comfortable with that, with that message and that, and that clarity, I kind of want to get, I want to, I want to take a leaf out of your book and get more confident with it over time. <laughs> Definitely more than I was say 10 years ago. But I still, I still worry about absolutely everything. <laughs> There's never like a, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're doing, <laughs> especially in in architecture. There's just so much to learn all the time, yep. and everything's changing all the time. But it is quite nice when you have like a young team and you can sort of mentor them through. Mm. And then there's moments when you realise you have these little moments and you go, oh, actually, I, I can actually help them in this way and teach them something and yeah. you re- realize how far you've come. Yeah. But most of the time you're just learning the whole time. Yeah. That's right. I think that's the thing, but when you're learning all the time, it can sometimes make it harder to then be like, I'm the person who knows the stuff, right. And talk to other people about it. Cause you see, sort of see yourself as somebody who's always picking up new things, always learning things that you used to think that kind of aren't necessarily that way anymore. You're always updating your own knowledge. I think sometimes it can be tough, but maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Like when you guys are putting out the message about your practice, you're not, I guess, trying to tell other people kind of what to do or how to think, right? Like you're just kind of going, this is what we're... When we're yeah, when we're, when we're talking to the public yeah. about if, if something's going to be printed and a client might see it, it's quite different to something's going to, you know, standing up in front of um, a group of peers and talking about work. Like that's the stuff I think that makes me really nervous okay um the peers make you more nervous oh yeah Yeah. and I I, you know I can I know I'm very confident in front of clients and I know I know I know exactly what I'm doing but I think and I think that's what I was trying to get at like we can be really mean to each other yeah (laughs) I know it's like it's like those memories of architecture school are just deeply in our subconscious of people just being horribly mean to us about our work (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it, I think so. And it's like so, it's so. down there deep on some light. There's some trauma down there of going like other people were pretty mean when we were out there sort of being vulnerable with our little architecture projects. Um, and maybe, maybe that does, that nervousness does kind of hang around for a little bit. But no, I could totally. I, I think it does. Yeah. In terms of the industry stuff, you know, one thing I noticed kind of um, I picked up about you in the studio over time is that you're super involved in with the profession. Like how long have you been assist doing the architects registration board stuff for like for absolutely forever right you know these other things that you've been involved in I'd love it to also just hear you speak to a couple of what those a uh, couple of things that you've been kind of involved in in the industry yeah well the registration board one's a really important one because I got registered quite young sort of like three years out of uni or something and since I've had my own practice that's been a real focus for me with graduates that work with us. So I really support them. I've always believed that the architecture profession will be stronger if we're all registered because a lot of people were choosing not to be registered. Mm. So how can we, you know, like it's not a very unified profession if we're not all 
you know, doing the same thing. So I just felt like strength in numbers in a lot of ways. And so that's why I've always encouraged my staff to do that and helped them with, you know, whatever courses they needed to take and um, assisted them and, you know, talked them through things. So that's that's something that's always been really, really important to me. And and when I go and do the interviews for the examinations, I get so much out of that as well. It's, um, it's, it's like anything. You, you, firstly, you're with another examiner and you have to spend time talking about the candidate and then um, and then you meet the candidate and it's always really interesting to hear their stories about their practice and then, you know, speaking to the other examiner and meeting all these other architects and hearing their stories. It's, I always leave with a spring in my step and thinking it's a great thing to do and it's, it's a privilege mm. and I enjoy it. So, and I think it's like that with anything. If you put in the effort, then you'll get something back that's yeah, definitely. even better. Yeah. Yeah, and... I mean, I was sort of, I had this wonderful sort of champion when I was first sort of started working and he encouraged me to join a committee on the Institute that was a a new sort of committee for, it's turned into Imagine now, but before Imagine existed, it was um, something else. And and he sort of encouraged me to join and then he encouraged me to chair and then we sort of turned into like a whole new thing and rebranded it. And it was, and it was a great way, especially as a sole practitioner at the time, to still connect with people and hear what's going on and made friendships that people in larger practice that we've done, you know, competition bids for and now we're working on a really large project um, of one of the ones that we that we won. So yeah, I mean you get you get things out of out of it. Of course you do. I mean people talk about mm. people have um, kind of conversations about networking or this like idea of should should I be out there to kind of networking, whatever. And it's just like really awkward topic and people don't see themselves as like very confident networkers, I suppose, no one and that sort of thing. And they're kind of going, well, what, what do I kind of really do? But I mean, even just being involved in those really positive ways, like that is building a network of people that you have relationships with and then you can do stuff together and collaborate and ask people for advice and all of that stuff. Like that's pretty valuable, right? As a, you know, as the owner of a business. Oh, completely. Like with some of those, when I was, you know, a few years earlier when I was less experienced and I'd be doing those interviews and I'd with, with somebody that was much more experienced, one of the examiners I've got, you know, on speed dial and, yeah. you know, I'd sort of call him and say, I mean, I've got this situation and they love it. They absolutely love it. Like I love mentoring younger graduates. They love it too. And it's a really nice way of having a, a connection with like all kinds of different architects. Yeah, absolutely. Getting into competitions for larger public stuff, is this like the big the big clue that you guys are going to start working on some enormous public projects at some point in the in the very near future? Is that is that kind of part of the direction you want to take things with the practice over time? No. No? <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah. We um we, we are working on um we've we've done we've done three design excellence competitions with the same large firm. We've won them all. And two of them are under construction, or one of them's been built and two of them are under construction and one of them we're really involved in. And look, it's been really, really great. That was a really nice project because when when we won the competition, there was one little heritage part of it that we're able to just um, work on as a separate thing. So that's lovely. That that project's lovely. But and, And we take, the reason that we sort of did all those projects is because I felt like 
it would be really great for the team for all of us to work on something that's like much bigger yeah when you're sort of so focused on something that's you know you're doing the same sort of scale work and then all of a sudden you've got to think on the city scale so so that that was lovely and a really great opportunity but I don't want to work for developers that's <laughs> pretty person, much it first person to say that on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is going, God, I can't wait to work for developers. <laughs> no, that's, that's very interesting. I love it. Please say more. I think that the timeframes are ridiculous and how can we like make really meaningful contributions to the built environment in the ridiculously short timeframes that are expected? And I just, it's just wrong. And until that changes, I'm not interested in completely ruining my life and my staff's lives mm. to make a good building. Mm. It's yeah. not worth it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's really interesting. Do you sort of see there, there still would be some projects I'm guessing you'd look at and be like, well, they're probably like more the exception than the rule. Like it still is possible to make great buildings in that space, but it just is, as, as you said, you'd have to kind of, kill yourself and your team to, to, to make that happen. Right. Like that's not necessarily coming from the client. They're not, they're not driving that level of quality. Yeah. I'm not saying there's not good work out there. It's, and when I, you know, when you see it, it's amazing. And honestly, large projects, any kind of large project where, you know, the architect isn't um, completely, um, when you've got, you know, other people managing timeframes and quality and all of those things, Mm. I think, when there's a, a really good outcome, yeah. I think it's amazing and people should be, you know, recognised for it. But, yeah, the, the things that I hear and even, you know, a competition that we did last year, the amount of time that you get for a competition and it really needs to be resolved like it's ready to lodge for planning approval. Mm. And you've got six weeks and it's so complex and how can you possibly possibly have a good outcome in that situation like it I mean architecture takes time to get right and I'm not saying spend 22 years but (laughs) I just got back from the Taj Mahal Um, I was like oh that's what that reference was okay (laughs) yeah I just I, I just think it's a little bit absurd no it's tough it is tough and I think also like commercially for practices it can be quite difficult as well because they get to the end of that project and in most cases there really isn't that much interest around multi-res stuff from a marketing standpoint. I know that's very much in my domain. It's probably the least of anyone's concerns is how marketable is their projects. But it can be also, I just see practices that get to the end of that process and they can be quite disappointed by going, oh, we really felt like this was going to lead to more and better things but then we took the photos of it and then no one wanted to publish it and no one was interested and this really hasn't been the kind of reaction we've had to our private residential stuff what's going on it's just something i found that this is not it doesn't feel like there's as much you can do with multi-res from that point of view so that's just me trying to chip in one more reason that there's a con to to multi-res it's probably three percent of the overall you know problems of that area but was there any point in time where you were kind of considering working that work or working that sort of space or, or, or with those sorts of clients or was it like right off the bat no that's not that's not what we're kind of about because I sort of I see that as a very common evolution of you know a high-end private residential practice that I feel like they their next step on the journey 
seems to always be okay let's let's do a multiverse project with with the developer and now we're doing larger projects and that seems to be this sort of thing that a lot of people go down but look i think if if we did one then we'd have to do more because you learn so much doing the first mm. one then to make it worth it because you 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 you'd spend so much time on it you'd basically be paying someone to let you do it. Yeah. And then you'd have to do another one and another one and another one just so that you can use all that knowledge and make up for it. But not multi-res, like a, <laughs> I don't know, only because I, I've we've tried it working on competitions and it's for a small practice hmm. to figure it all out and learn how the, you know, apartment design guide and everything that you need to know to do it. It's not something you can just go, oh, I'm just going to go learn how to do that now. Yeah. And I think that our practice isn't at the scale where we could just do that. You'd end up, you know, having to employ people that can do it. Yeah. And then like the whole point of, well, the, the way that we work is that we're a small team and I am involved in every single project. So I don't know. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't make I, sense. I feel like it's, it's not, it doesn't fit. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. If it was a small little hotel or something, then you've got my interest. That would be fun. Yeah. But, yeah. No, totally. And that would be the natural step for me, designing houses to maybe sort of doing like what would it be like to design a place where you stay if you're not at home. Mm. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Mm. Have you sort of got any ideas in mind in terms of is there a next sort of phase or or evolution of the studio or – I mean, you've sort of mentioned earlier you're just really, really happy where you, where you guys are and doing what you're doing and working with awesome clients. So is it just kind of taking it kind of one day at a time or do you have thoughts or ideas about where you want the studio to kind of go over time or be a certain size or do a certain type of work or anything like that? I think for us it's not so much about the work. Yeah. It's about the fit with the client. Yeah. So we've just finished a really lovely commercial project and it's for a builder that we've worked with quite a bit and that was like a really great experience. You know, and there have been other little projects like that where a, a client that we've done a house for might sort of say, can you come and do our little office or something like that. So I think those kinds of projects, yes, like we'll, we'll sort of change lanes um, but it needs to be the right client and it comes back to that whole thing of, the client wanting us for who we are, not us necessarily trying to figure out who we are and mm, mm. be something else, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. You were mentioning to me the other day that the structure of your practice, you've got a practice director as well and there's sort of an interesting kind of division of labour there about, I guess, things that you're kind of responsible for that are your strengths and things that you are in control of or, 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 or look over versus stuff that maybe you have other people kind of working on because that's more their forte. I'd just love to know, before we finish up, just a little bit more about that, just in terms of how you've structured things and what your sort of approach is with that. Because I think a lot of studios, once they're getting past that first couple of employees or, or whatever, they start to face these obstacles of going, I'm actually starting to struggle to kind of do everything here and I'm not sure how to sort of structure things. Yes. So I'm a complete control freak with a lot of that because I always have done everything myself. Yeah. And um, I would hear other practices talking about getting office managers and I'd think, how can they give that stuff away? You know, I can do it. I'll just do it. You know, it's easier if I do it. Then one day on my son's footy field, I bumped into an old friend from uni and she was saying that, you know, she had children and whatever and she she was saying, I, I want to work but I don't want to do project work. 
And I said, oh, you should become an office manager, you know, and she's like, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't know where to start with doing that. I wouldn't even know how to tell people that's what I want to do. And anyway, with the conversation sort of moved on. And then about six months later, I just thought, gosh, I need an office manager because I, I don't know what the turning point was that made me think I really need to do this, but something must have happened. And um, I contacted her and we sat down and had a coffee and she said, so what do I do? And I said, I don't know, we'll just have to work it out. And because we were good friends from uni, I completely trusted her and I just started giving her little things. And then along the way, she's just started saying, can I do this for you? Can I do this for you? Yeah. She knew exactly how a practice runs. And um, it's so good. It's, it's almost like we're job sharing and yeah. we sit next to each other. Um, she just takes so much load off me so I can now do more project work, which is so good. And yeah, I, I would have thought that our practice was too small to have someone like that, but it's definitely freed things up so that I can spend more time on projects. So it, yeah, it, I would say for any smaller practices out there, like really consider it and yeah, be realistic about the amount of time that you spend on things that are not project work. And if you can get somebody to help you and you can find the right person, definitely give it a go because it's been really wonderful yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a couple of different schools of thought with, with that stuff where some architects, we touched on this the other day, but some architects kind of go, I want someone to kind of take over more of the company admin stuff so I can be more kind of project involved. And then there's some architects who are like, I want to just get more people taking over more of the project work so I can be more office <laughs> company involved. And I kind of get a, I can kind of assume which side you sort of sit on, but yeah, I'd love your take on, on kind of those models. I mean, if you love doing what you're doing, yeah, you want to be involved in the project. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for us, what clients often come to us and say, who's going to be working on it? You know, is this the last time we're ever going to see you? And the answer is <laughs> definitely not. And I think that's one of the strengths for us. So I love what I do. I'm lucky to do what I do. I'm not going to hand it completely over to someone else. I've got my name on the door. So yeah. I want my hand in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On everything. But, the, yeah. but then, on the business, then on the business stuff, you're you're sort of like, gradually becoming more comfortable with sort of letting that get done, um, you know, without your direct control over like every detail of it. Cause you mentioned before that you wanted to be originally, you were just kind of in control of everything. Um, but you've become kind of more comfortable with that business stuff. And is it one of those things where you feel like, you know, that's not the me doing what I do best necessarily. So it, it doesn't really make sense for me to be spending as much time on that sort of office management, company management stuff uh, over time if you sort of realise that? Yeah, you have to decide where your time is best spent, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Because the admin stuff, you know, a lot of it's not really that hard. It's just a matter of having the time to do yeah. it. But, you know, if it's really important that you're involved in the project work, then you need to, and I think that's where I got to the point where I thought, well, I can't really keep on doing both properly, mm. so I need to bring somebody else yeah really in. focus on that yeah awesome yeah i love it yeah i feel like the was was lisa part-time well currently but was originally as well sort of was it sort of a couple of days a week yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah so she sort of started out i think she's always been three days and she's gone from like three hours a day to four hours a day to five hours a day yeah. to six hours you know yeah, so yeah. it's just gone Gradual, up and up and yeah, up yeah 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 as 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 it suited her as well yeah 
And yeah, and she sort of is the first point of contact for clients. Yeah. And it's great. I always had this um this wish <laughs> that I could so when I, you know, I had some surgery on my knee mm. years and years ago. Yeah. And I remember going in to see the surgeon. And I sat down and he said, okay, you've broken your ACL. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this and this and this and then we're going to do this and blah, 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 da, da, da. And then I looked at him and I said, how much is this going to cost? And he goes, oh, Victoria will look after that. And then he goes, well, I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. And then like he did not talk about the money at all. Yeah. And then um, after we f- I finished with him, um, I went into another room and I sat down with Victoria <laughs> and she <laughs> told me, you know, this is what you're going to get and this is the Medicare rebate and this is the blah, 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 and it was just like this big thing. Yeah. And, um, and then I walked out and I just thought, oh, my God, if I could have that situation in my office where I do not have to deal with fee proposals yeah. and money and chasing invoices and all of that. Yeah. And that's what Lisa is. Yeah, so perfect. Cool. I love it. Oh no, that's a, I, I can absolutely understand that. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people that have come on the podcast, small practices where, as you said, we probably wouldn't expect to have kind of the capacity to have that sort of office manager or that role on the admin side. But whether it's somebody doing practice manager stuff or somebody doing communications and marketing a couple of days a week for a small practice, I feel like anybody that's in that situation just absolutely raves about it. Like they don't know how they got by without having that help. So I know I absolutely love to hear it. And I think like I work with a lot of small practices that they're definitely at that stage you described where they're struggling to do the business stuff and the architecture stuff well. They're at a point where they don't have time for everything. And yeah, you're right. Like I think there's a lot of studios that would just benefit so much from that. So, but I guess the tough part is meeting and finding the right people, right? I, I do find that most of the times it's been brought up on the show, it is a story similar to yours where it's you met somebody locally through school, through something, and then it turned out to be that they were the right person or they were a friend. But I find that studios have really struggled to go out there and post kind of almost like a job ad for this sort of thing. Like it seems to develop more kind of organically in, in, in what I've picked up. But nonetheless, that's really, really awesome. And Edmarie, we have to get going. I have to let you go about your go about your day and run your studio and do all your things. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. You've been incredibly generous and um, I really enjoyed the chat. No problem at all. Thank you. That was my conversation with Eva Marie Preneus from Studio Preneus. If you'd like to learn more about Studio Preneus, you can visit studiopreneus.com.au. You can also follow the studio on Instagram at studiopreneus. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.